Welcome back to our study of 1 Kings. We are finishing up 1 Kings chapter 16 today as we look at verses 29 to 34, which tell us about the beginning of the reign of King Ahab. Now, King Ahab uh, is one of the many kings of the nation of Israel, but one of those that you might be familiar with because Ahab was so notoriously wicked and so was his wife. And we get quite a bit of detail about the reign of Ahab. Um, we're going to see more about him all the way through the, uh, the rest of the book of 1 Kings almost, um, almost, right up to the very end. There'll be more about Ahab and his wife and also the prophet Elijah who had a fair amount of interaction with Ahab. So let's read uh, today though 1 Kings 16, 29 to 34 and see what we can learn from the wicked king Ahab in Israel. Here's what the scripture says. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri began to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. So Ahab continues the downward spiral that we have been seeing in Israel's history and in particular among Israel's kings. Remember when Israel split off from Judah, when God gave the 10 tribes uh, that make up the kingdom of Israel, when he gave those to Jeroboam, Jeroboam sinned against the Lord by establishing idolatry, uh, crafting a golden calf to go in the north and south parts of his kingdom in Dan and Bethel so that people would no longer go to Jerusalem and worship the Lord there as they were supposed to and instructed to in the law because he was afraid that if they kept doing that, then they would return to Rehoboam, the king of, of uh, Judah, who was Solomon's son, and would no longer follow Jeroboam as their king. But he sinned. Uh, and set a pattern of sin that the kings of Israel uh, follow after him. And so we've seen um, king after king that has been wrapped up in idolatry, just as Jeroboam was. The last king that we saw was a king named Omri. And we were told in verse 25 that Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, this is verse 26 now, and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. So Omri not only walked in the same sins as Jeroboam, not only continued the idolatry that Jeroboam had established, but he uh, did even uh, more evil 
than all who were before him. So he was even worse than Jeroboam. And now we read the same thing about Ahab, who's Omri's son. So Omri took things to an even lower level, sinned to an even greater degree than Jeroboam had. And now Ahab takes things even lower than Omri had. As verse 29 says, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. So Asa is still king in Israel. Remember, he reigned for something like 40-something years over, excuse me, uh, over Judah. And now Ahab is king of Israel. Omri, his father, had been king of Israel, but he died. Now Ahab is king of Israel. And Ahab reigned for 22 years in Israel. And verse 30 says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So again, he takes Israel to an even lower level, plunges them even deeper into sin as he is more wicked than the kings who came before him. What in particular did he do that was so bad? Well, look at verse 31. It says, And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. So it says, essentially it says, um, as if it wasn't bad enough to do what Jeroboam had done, here's what Ahab did. Ahab did even worse than Jeroboam had done. Yes, Jeroboam had established idolatry in Israel, essentially crafted his own rival religion to keep people from worshiping the true God in the place where God had commanded them to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Worse than that, Ahab goes and takes for himself a woman named Jezebel, as his wife. Now, Jezebel is a name you're probably familiar with because she also is notorious. She was extremely wicked, um, and we'll hear more about her uh, later as the story of 1 Kings goes on. But uh, she was a, a wicked woman. This is a, a wicked wife that, um, that Ahab took for himself. And notice he says that Ahab uh, took for his wife Jezebel the daughter of Ethbal of the Sidonians and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now, here's the problem with that. God had told his people when they came into the promised land, he told them, and, and you find this in Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy 7, he told them not to, work, not to intermarry with the people uh, from the nations that they were uh, taking over the land from because those nations have been worshiping idols. And what would happen would be if the Israelite men married the women from these other idolatrous nations, what would happen would be that those women would lead those men to worship their idols. And that would be bad. So, for example, Deuteronomy 7 it says this, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them, and then here's the key for us. You shall not intermarry with them, 
giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. So the principle behind that is you're not to marry people from idolatrous nations, at least not if they are still committing idolatry. Uh, One of the exceptions that we find in Scripture, of course, is in the book of Ruth, when Boaz uh, marries Ruth, who's a Moabite woman. She's a foreign woman. They worship idols in Moab. But Ruth had forsaken the gods of her people and forsaken her people and joined herself to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and to her God. And so she was no longer an idol worshiper, she was now a worshiper of the one true God. So it's not an absolute prohibition about marrying anybody from another nation. It's a prohibition against marrying idolaters. But when Ahab marries Jezebel, he marries an idolater. And not only that, her father's name was Ethbal, which means with Baal, right? So his name is essentially... um, Almost, you know, pledge, you know, almost uh, asserting his allegiance to Baal or his connection to Baal, um, and, which was one of the false gods worshipped um, <clears throat> at this period of time by the the people around Israel. So her father's name is uh, associates him with an idol, and um, it says that Ahab himself went and served Baal and worshipped him. So. Not only does Ahab marry a woman whose father is an idolater, the woman herself, we'll find out later, is an idolater, Um, and Ahab becomes an idolater. He begins worshiping this false god, Baal. And not only does he worship him, notice verse 32. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, where the house of Baal come from, which he built in Samaria. So remember, uh, previously, Omri had uh, built up Samaria, the king before Ahab, his father, had built up Samaria. Um, and now Ahab has built a temple in Samaria to Baal, and he's also built an altar there so that he can worship this false god that's also worshipped by his wife. So Ahab goes beyond Jeroboam establishing idolatry for you know, so-called political reasons. Um, now Ahab has married an idolatrous woman, daughter of an idolatrous father from an idolatrous nation, and Ahab himself has built a temple to an idol, an altar to an idol, and is worshiping this idol. He's worshiping Baal. Verse 34, or excuse me, uh, verse 33 says, And Ahab made an Asherah, it's another um, aspect of idolatry at that time. And then it says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So Ahab is not only provoking the Lord to anger, he's doing so more so than all the kings who were before him. We, again, Israel is just spiraling downward. It's getting worse and worse. Her kings are getting worse and worse. Their sin is becoming um, more and more grievous, more and more serious. As if it wasn't bad enough that Jeroboam had already put them on the path to exile 
by establishing idolatry in the land. It's as though they are running headlong into exile as they run as fast as they can away from the Lord and embrace uh, idolatry so fully. Um, and then one more thing happens in this opening passage about Ahab's reign that all, gives us another insight into how bad things really are in Ahab's Israel. Verse 34 says, In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. You might think, well, what's the big deal about that? He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, what that last part is telling us is, if, if we didn't pick it up, if we didn't remember from the first part of that verse, uh, the last part of that verse tells us something was said about Jericho that Heil should have listened to, and he didn't. And because he didn't, he paid for it. So what was it that was said about Jericho, and particularly about rebuilding Jericho, that Heil has ignored? Well, back in the book of Joshua, chapter 6, after uh, the city of Jericho has been destroyed, and you know the story about Jericho and marching around the walls and blowing the trumpets and the walls falling down. God defeated uh, the people there as part of him uh, giving the land to his people Israel. And then um, at the end of that story, it's at the very end of Joshua chapter 6, it says, Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So when Jericho was destroyed, Joshua uh, spoke a curse upon anyone who would dare to rebuild that city that just had been destroyed. And the curse included the death of the firstborn um, and youngest of anyone who would have the audacity to rebuild that city um, that Joshua has just spoken this curse about. And what Heil does, and by the way, somebody like Heil, whoever he was, does not rebuild an entire city without the approval and acknowledgement of the king. So this is on Ahab, just as much as it is on Heil. Um, this has to be happening under Ahab's authority. But Heil completely disregards what Joshua had said, completely dis disregards um, that curse and uh, goes ahead and rebuilds Jericho and just like Joshua said it costs him his firstborn and his youngest son and we're not told how how they died how that came to pass but what it does tell us that Heil would do this uh, what it does tell us is whether so whether that curse had been written down in scripture by that point, right? Whether they had the book of Joshua by this point, uh, or if they didn't, we surely something like that would have been passed down by tradition, by word of mouth. People would have retold that story and spoken that curse. He would have been aware of it, right? And Joshua was the successor to Moses, 
and his words and his actions carried weight. And so for them to um, completely ignore what Joshua said and utterly disregard that curse, right? Uh, putting that next to Ahab's idolatry, um, when we put those together, what this whole thing seems to be saying, this whole paragraph, is to be communicating Ahab's utter disregard and disdain for the Lord and his word. He does not care what God has said. He does not care what God wants him to do or not do. Ahab is going to do what Ahab wants to do, and he does not care about God's laws. He does not care about a curse spoken by God's chosen leader. He does not care what God thinks, what God says, what God has forbidden. Ahab's going to do what Ahab is going to do. And as a result, Ahab is going to be in big, big trouble, right? God is not going to let such high-handedness, such arrogance, such rebellion, such wickedness go unpunished. Ahab is going to suffer the consequences. And when we look at someone like Ahab, <clears throat> um, we might see a little bit of ourselves in him. Hopefully not too much, right? But all of us have um, moments, at least, of um, rebellion, of sin, uh, moments at least where we're tempted to say, I know what God says, but... I'm going to do something else. Ahab's story is a warning for us in those moments, uh, in those temptations, that to remind us of what the consequences of acting on those temptations, acting on those uh, temporary feelings, what, what those consequences are, and reminding us why we want to avoid them. Um, but also, um, even if we don't necessarily see ourselves too much and Ahab, um, seeing what Ahab does, hopefully um, will serve to encourage us uh, to go further the other direction, that, that it will encourage us to be even more committed, more faithful, more desirous to know what God says and to know God's will and to do what God wants us to do. Because we don't want to be like Ahab. We don't want to be um, rebellious and arrogant and high-handed and presumptuous in the way that Ahab was. We want to be faithful. We want to be humble. We want to be holy. We want to please the Lord. We want to be the kind of people who listen to his word and do what he says. In other words, we want to be more like Elijah and less like Ahab. And as the story of 1 Kings continues, we'll get to see those two men in contrast and see how the Lord works through Elijah against Ahab. God bless. Hope to see you next time.